Everyone Deserves a Place to Call Home is a collection of stories about people's experiences of homelessness. Funded by the town of Victoria Park, the project acknowledges that homelessness can be defined in many different ways and affects many different people, and aims to raise awareness because shelter is a basic human right and everyone deserves a place to call home. This is Trish Owen's story. I don't look like someone who has experienced homelessness. I'm educated, I'm white, I can articulate my words, I have a university degree, but it hasn't always been like this. It always confuses me when we stereotype what homelessness should look like, similar to how we uh, stereotype what an alcoholic looks like, the person who's wearing a big coat in with a brown paper bag in the park. That is not my experience of homelessness. I, from as young as I can remember, I always remember searching for something, searching to belong, searching to connect, searching to... Um, yeah, feel a part of the of the world. And uh, there became a point in my life where I needed help. I needed something. I was hopeless. I had no hope. I had this internal lacking. And my story led me to looking for that connection, that internal sense of um, hope and well-being in all the external sources. I was looking for it in drugs. I was looking for it in alcohol. I was looking for it in relationships. None of those gave me a lasting sense of peace or hope. And so the next option was to have a child. Um, I laugh, but it's not very funny. Um, uh, So I had a child. I was 23 years old and I was in a relationship that was not a healthy relationship. It was basically founded on our coexisting traumas and our um, solutions for that trauma, which was using drugs and alcohol. Um, By the time I was 23... Um, I was, I found myself homeless and I didn't actually acknowledge at that time that I was homeless. I had broken up with my partner and I had this child and I was couch surfing between my uncles and my friend's house because where my friend lived was all my connections, um, my supports and my uncle was the place that I, where I could hold all my belongings I need to skip back a little bit because prior to this, so that was when I was 23. At 17 was when I first moved out of home. I did not basically like my mum's rules, (laughs) as most 17-year-olds would probably relate. And I moved out of that home, um, my home's west home with my single mother, into a house of a drug-dealing pedophile, basically. I, this guy had um, basically just had a room and I needed somewhere to stay and it was with a a bunch of my friends and uh, he was probably double our age and so therefore the kind of the matriarch of the patriarch of the um of that house and this was the start of me using drugs to really fill that gap I started using on a daily basis and was introduced to different types of drugs and was also introduced to the depraving ways people try to fill that hole in their soul. And this man had a camera that was connected to a monitor in his bedroom. So we would go off to have a shower and he would disappear into his room to watch the show, so to speak. Um, This preceded my uh, admissions into mental health hospitals. I was 
within the next couple of years uh, diagnosed with drug-induced psychosis three times in a row and then proceeded to have another diagnosis and found myself caught up in the mental health system, which never actually made sense to me because the solution there was to use medication where I was actually using drugs to make myself feel okay internally, looking for that sense of hope, looking for that um, sense of belonging and connection with myself and with humanity. So from that home, I, uh, I, I think there was about eight, nine, maybe up to even 10 different homes that I I don't know if I would call them homes, actually, different houses that I inhabited um, throughout my late teens, early 20s, uh, and we didn't have the housing precariousness and the rental crisis that we do today, uh, and it was just kind of a normal thing. It was just what we sort of did, go from one rental to another. I can't remember my name being on many of those leases um, or how the rent got paid or who did that, uh, what the rights were, um, but this leading up to when I was 23 and I had my daughter, that was definitely a low spot. I, I, was, I was depressed. My, um, my, my, my world was caving. All of these things and all of this effort that I was putting in to make my life feel okay. I was always working. I studied. I, I did all the right things externally, but I still had this sense of hopelessness and... Um, when my daughter was uh, born, I found myself in a mental hospital with my daughter. For the first six weeks of her life, we were in Greylands Hospital and um, it was when she was six months old that I found myself homeless. So I had all of these internal struggles going on, the like, mental health problems. I was struggling with addiction to try and try solve my mental health problems and... Uh, my relationship was breaking down because, as I said, that was founded on a, a trauma bond that was n never going to be long-lasting. Because of these things, the mental health issues, the single parent, um, along with my privilege of being white and able to articulate myself and just falling in the right gaps, I oh, they weren't gaps, falling in the right, um, right place in the system, I was put on the emergency wait list for housing and it was six months uh, from my exit of Greylands that I found the home that I still inhabit today. So that was 2004. And this was the start of a sense of safety, a sense of um, stability and it was, you know, it was a safe, affordable home. It was a, it's in a strata complex so it's connected with people who were in some way stable. I wasn't, you know, I w wasn't in a flat where there were lots of different people who were struggling with the same issues where we can compound off each other. I, you know, had a place where my daughter could go to the same school for the whole of her childhood. I, you know, had connections to the mental health system and all of that. Uh, this was the start of me getting out of the mental health system because, as I said before, that wasn't where I needed, uh, where I, it didn't make sense to me, those solutions. Um, it was from this house I found community and safety within a church. I found connection with these people who just loved me and my daughter regardless. I don't think they really knew that we were going, I was going stoned most of the time, <laughs> but, but they loved me and 
like accepted me and my daughter as we were and you know that was a that was a a hope that was implanted in me that I I didn't have before and I definitely didn't have when I was going between different houses It, it was from there that I got myself a degree uh it was also in that time uh early on when I was doing my degree that my daughter's dad passed away so although we had separated we were parenting together separately so it was quite a traumatic experience um I just want to circle back to the time when I was in Greylands because this going to church was something that I I remember being in Greylands knowing that my relationship was breaking down, knowing that I'd brought this child into this world to feel something within me that nothing externally could feel. And I, I, it was a, a point of desperation. And I remember getting on my knees in that hospital and crying out and going, if there is something there, I really need help. And I wasn't brought up largely religious or my nana did go to church but it wasn't it wasn't really the religion that I was reaching out for it was that like deeper connection to something bigger than myself and at that time on my knees after I'd just fed my uh, daughter a lady from the chapel came in and she had this blanket that said wish upon a star and it wasn't until five years later when I was walking into a church and loved by these people that I realized that I don't know, the interconnectedness of all of these little incidences and how hopelessness, when pushed through, can actually turn into a source of hope and strength for other people. Like I look back on those times in my story and they feel like something that happened to someone else. And today the work that I'm involved in is advocating for the voices of those who don't necessarily have a voice, those that are still experiencing homelessness, those that are still gripped with the the obsession of drugs or mental health issues or just hopelessness. And my, my aim is to make sure that my story is used for the power of good so that people don't have to fall through the gaps that if I wasn't white, privileged, educated and had the, what, trifecta of crap in my life of drug addiction, mental health problems, homelessness and being a single parent, I probably wouldn't have found the safety of a home to actually build my life to a point where today I'm so baffled at how wonderful my life is. I'm not only doing work that I'm so passionate about and I love, but I have these strong, deep connections with something that I, you know, some people will call that connection God, spirit of the universe, whatever it is, but I have a connection with something deep within myself that is also a connection that helps me to grow connection with people that I um, can, can relate to because I've been in the depths of despair. I've been at that point of hopelessness and hopelessness is death. <laughs> it whether it leads us to actual physical death or just that death of soul and spirit. And I'm passionate about all the voices being heard. When, you know, the honour and privilege it is to share my story and to be able to show that what was a hopeless situation can actually be turned around and that can only be turned around when community stands together, when those gaps in our system are filled and there is no reason in a country like we have for us to have the homelessness crisis that we do, that we see today. And 
So I'm hoping that my story will help provide hope for those who may have related to some of those things and also that as a system, as individual people in this system, we each do what we can do to bring hope where there is hopelessness. Thank you for listening. Centre for Stories is a not-for-profit organisation with charitable status. Our team is small and nimble and we love what we do. To help us to continue to support diverse storytellers, consider a small donation. You can donate at centreforstories.com.